0: pray. And uh, we're going to have a conversation. All right. Lord, thank you so much for this community. Um, As we take a look at this very dark season of Israel's history, I pray that we can pull together some lessons for us. Um, We may actually find ourselves resonating deeply in some ways or another. And so may we open our hearts and our minds to listening carefully to what you might be telling us through these stories through our ancestors, and through this gathering that we have here today. And I pray in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Last week I shared with you this phrase. Everybody say it. (laughs) (laughs) Chazak, (laughs) chazak, (laughs) venit (laughs) chazak. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Please stay aligned with the story that God has written in your hearts. Uh, We had some questions as to what that actually means. It's beautiful. We hope that these conversations and these messages open up Additional questions. And what we're going to talk about today is about how the Israelites, just one chapter, one book later, don't do this. And they don't do it in a really horrible way. We're going to have a conversation about it. We're going to take a look at the book of Judges and draw out some themes, some big picture things. There's some amazing stories in the book of Judges, some of them really powerful, some of them you're very familiar with, and some of them near the end, extremely disturbing. Uh, for those of you who. I don't lo- if that's
1: just near the end. Kind well, of yeah,
0: that's yet. true. At the very beginning, there's some extremely. I've got a disturbing image to show you. Um, so, ooh, you're excited now. So, if you ever Great. think that this Bible is something that you should be um, reading to your children, sometimes there's a pause that happens. Um, I'd like to start the conversation. And by the way, because it's a conversation today, we want to make sure that you, at any particular time, can interrupt, raise your hand, ask a question, and push that forward. We have some thoughts to share. Um, but we're very willing to be uh, sidetracked and drawn into whatever direction we might be having to go. Um, I'd like to start the conversation by asking one simple question, which is a question that I think is at the heart of a lot of my life, (laughs) if I can put it that way, which is this, what is wrong with the world? Very simple question, but what ultimately is wrong with the world? And I'll start with a confession that when I um, started into ministry, I started because that's just seems to be the next vocational step to go. I mean, I failed out of telecom, um, telecommunications. But,
1: but because you I, were at the church all the time working. I, I
0: failed oh. electronics one and two. I failed telecom one and two. I got an A in volleyball, so I do have a 4.0 on my transcript. Great. But um, so it seemed like the next step. So, and then I knew how to play Chubby Bunny and all sorts of different types of things. Um, and I was young enough to stay up late and all that kind of stuff. So ministry just seemed to be the next step. Over the years, the reason for my staying within this context of ministry and working with people and thinking deeply about the world and these stories has really shifted to something that I hope really resonates with all of humanity. I don't mean to sound um, just uh, overt about that, but the question for me, especially when we get to the book of Judges, what is wrong with the world? Seems to be a really apropos question, because if I could get at that, or if we could get at that, it feels like we could fix some of the things that are wrong with the world. But we first have to identify what is wrong with the world. And there's a lot of things that happen in theology and Christian ideas in the stories that we tell. There are some ways in which we decide that, Oh, it was clearly the apple. That is what is wrong with the world. And then Stephen Greenblatt uh, wrote this amazing book, The Rise and Fall of Adam and Eve, where you can chart through some of the theology within the Christian church that points not just to the apple, which actually isn't an apple, not just to the fruit, but actually points to Eve herself. And it's a really incredible historical look at the rise of misogyny within the theological structures of the Christian church. And if we could just say, well, she's clearly the problem, and if we could fix that, then maybe everything else will go well. And you could take that idea alone and extrapolate it to all sorts of different implications for why different practices happen within different faith communities. So that's really fascinating um, to me. And then as we get to the book of Judges, sometimes we see, especially here, that the Israelites start to see that really what is wrong with the world is those people. The very same thing that we have discussed throughout our history, our time as Spark, is othering the other. And they go in and they say, clearly these people are the bad guys. Clearly these people are the ones that are what's wrong with the world. And if we can only eliminate them, then... We will have whatever we believe is our theological utopia or the promised land, etc. So what I'd like to do, um, what my introduction to Judges is really disturbing stories from the very beginning to the very end. We won't have time to cover all of them. But if we can take a look at the broad brush of what's happening and the little hints and clues that the author throws in there, I think we're getting at something as to what the author's and these ancient people thought was ultimately wrong with the world and why things didn't go so well with the Israelites that inform us um, in how we ought to live today. So just like Joshua started with the death of Moses, so now Judges begins with the death of Joshua. And the very beginning of Judges actually opens up with the Canaanites intermingling with the Israelites. Again, going back to that story of why um, Joshua says, we're going to eliminate these people and then the next book over. Well, what do we do with these people that we supposedly eliminated in the previous book? So for those of us who have struggles and challenges with reading the phraseology in our Old Testament, in Joshua specifically, about how they destroyed everybody and how could God cause that genocide, again, we're looking at a different kind of language, most likely hyperbole, some sort of uh, linguistic tactic to describe a different thing of what's going on rather than military.
1: Well, and I would just note that the reason why the Canaanites um, aren't going to be there anymore, God has been very clear about this um, throughout Deuteronomy is because they have done these terrible things. So God has said, and and remember, God is also the father of the Canaanites, right? God has said that this land will vomit out these people because of their behavior. And Israel, if you do this too, the land will also vomit you out. So it's not necessarily specific to we like these people more than these people. God loves these people more than these people. And therefore, God's going to give them a nice piece of land. And he's going to kick these other people out. It has much more to do with behavior. So the book of Judges, unfortunately, shows us that almost instantly the behavior of the Israelites is very similar to the behavior of the Canaanites quite quickly.
0: Well, and that's exactly what happens. Um, There's this... There's these little hints and clues, Judges two. Moreover, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors after Joshua died. And Wait, another
1: can I just pause? That's um, a phra- that's a phrase gathered to your ancestors that doesn't have to mean like they all went to heaven in the same place. The way that you buried bodies during that day is the body would be laid out, and then as it started to decompose, you would collect the bones and put it into a section in the sort of like sub-basement of the tomb, and that place would be where everybody else had, in your family had already passed. So you're literally, quite literally, gathered to your ancestors and put there. So it maybe it also has a theological meaning but it has a cultural meaning for the practice. They they died but they were buried in their family tomb with their other family members.
0: So this next generation grows up and here's the key phraseology, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. In other words, kids these days No connection with the historical story, which is why we're trying to go through the series. We're trying to remember what our story is so that the next generations that come up within us can hear about that. But here's here's the shift that Danielle was alluding to. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the power of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen even to their judges, for they lusted after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their ancestors had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They did not follow their example. If you're looking to the book of Judges to be an example, like you should be like Gideon, or you should be like Samson, or you should be like these people. Dear God, no. Please don't. Don't do it. And this shifts our thinking away from the Bible being, here are your basic instructions for how you are to live, to look at the lesson that the book of Judges is attempting to communicate to this generation and to the next generation and to the next. They forgot. They didn't remember their story. And they were tempted to the right and to the left once again. And starting at this very beginning, the author is giving you clues. This is not going to end well.
1: They did
0: not obey.
1: The entire book is a book of what not to do. And when I was in youth ministry, every time you go to the National Youth Workers Convention, they would have curriculum ready for you to pick up and teach to your middle school and high school, and you want to, like, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers can notoriously um, impress you with how bored they appear while you speak to them. So then they want to give you really flashy curriculum. So if you buy this book, then you'll be able to keep the attention of all of your middle schoolers or high schoolers. And they had this, like, ripped Samson, kind of, like, He-Man kind of character on the front, and it was, like, the lessons of judges. You're like, yeah, baby. And so I remember thinking, yeah, heroes right, the heroes from the book of Judges. This is the worst marketing package ever because none of what any of these people are doing, maybe with the slight exception of, of Deborah, of Devorah, and a few others, but really you don't want to do what they're doing. Even the Samson story is very disturbing. The, the word, so, so he's constantly doing what's right in his own eyes. He's constantly looking upon a woman and saying, she looks good to me in my own eyes. She's not doing what's right in this, no one's doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. And not just that, but when he sees this woman, the the Hebrew is that he, um, he grinds with her uh, the way that he ends up grinding the mill later on when he's blinded and having to grind down that mill, the, the flour in the mill. So that it's very um, earthy, earthy, let's yeah. say, um, in terms of how that story is occurring and how... Yes, there. I, I think the book isn't only saying what not to do. It's also talking about God's faithfulness when everything is a disaster, when all of your leaders um, have messed everything up, when all of the structures that you have put hope into Um, are failing you in front of you when um, the ark of the covenant is taken into battle when Eli is so fat this priest is so fat that he's going to fall over and break his neck um, just because of his weightiness once he hears that the ark has been taken Um, all of these people doing terrible things um, in their own eyes and so Israel is in quite the state of affairs, Um, they don't know who to trust, they don't know how um, the 12 tribes can really function in the community, there is no centralized leadership or government, Um, and then those people that are sort of put forth as deliverers, as soon as sort of Israel has this one moment of like, wow, my life's really hard, I guess I should repent, maybe we should try this God again, and they sort of like glance over their shoulder and be like, sorry God, and then God comes rushing in, sends a deliverer, delivers them again, and immediately they fall into the same traps, very very quickly, again and again and again. So for me the book shows a lot of what not to do, but it also the overarching theme is that if God is the central character of our story, then God will care for us and act for us, even when we are so horrible. Yeah. And God is not um held captive and the will of God is not held captive by poor leadership. Um, or even by flashes of brilliance or obedience in the midst of leadership.
0: You guys might, uh, some of you might be familiar with that phrase that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more, which means that if Judges is really, really that bad, then it's highlighting, and it is, it's highlighting how amazing God's grace and love and covenant is to the people that constantly reject him. Uh, Now, hopefully in some ways, as we're having this conversation, because I'm already doing this myself, you're starting to draw some parallels to today's world and to to communities, people in your life who you say, look how bad they are. (laughs) Look how horrible they're acting. Can you believe? And they, they happen to be Christians, or at least they say they are, or they're follow. They say that they're followers of Jesus. And look what they're doing. Yeah, we're familiar with this. In this story.
1: When I um, was growing up. My home church was wonderful. And such a special place, and, and still is, and when I went to college, then I had a really hard time finding another church, because everything sort of was measured by how wonderful my pastors were at this last church that I was at, so, and, the, and there wasn't a lot of options my freshman year, and I didn't have a car, and I couldn't get off campus, and everything was difficult, so in that time, then I kind of was like, well, I'll never find anything good as my home church, so I'll stop going, And then freshman year, the pastor that I was most attached to at this church, and I had adored his wife, I babysat their three kids. He left his wife and three kids for a younger woman and could see me driving around town in a red convertible. And my heart broke. And all of the um, framework that I had set up for why my church was great and why everything was so wonderful there kind of came crashing down. And my faith then in church and in the structure of church wavered quite a bit. And I was like, well, maybe this is a lie. Maybe this isn't where I mean if he's going to do this and I can't trust that this person who I was so close to could make these good decisions. So that failure, the leadership failure, broke a bit of my hope in the structure. Then um, I finally got a car, and so I started driving out to Bel Air Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles, which was about 45 minutes from my college, Scripps College, in, in you know the, in the valley. And I drove out there because they had a vibrant college ministry. And my first Sunday there, the pastor stepped down for 25 inappropriate relationships with women that he had been in counseling with situations. Head pastor, quite well known and famous, had been the pastor for the inauguration of Ronald Reagan. Did all all of that. So my, my next time I'm in church, I'm like, wait a second, this is bad. Now some people might think that girl should go, right? She should run and hit the door, run, Bambi, run. But instead it actually helped me, right? God is bigger than the structure. God is bigger than these individuals. Um, these, this is not who I'm placing my faith into. And it helped that the college ministry was really vibrant and it wasn't super attached to that particular structure, but it also had its flaws. And the next church that I worked at, wonderful and amazing and incredible, I ended up having to um, deal with some pretty tough stuff that I'm not going to mention in the sitting with that leadership. And, uh, and it was horrible and difficult, and phone calls had to be made to authorities, and, and it was heartbreaking. But I stayed there for, like, seven years trying to work all of that out. And then the next church I was at for 12 years that experienced two different moral failures. Again, at this point, you're like, Danielle, you probably should just start your own church. Yes, I did. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So we started our own church. I can trust the leadership here. I'm just joking. Um, Yeah, I can trust the leadership, but that's not why I started our church. Wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. but the thing that it kept teaching me was that my faith was not in these churches. My faith was not in these places. And so even when the last place I was at experienced its first moral failure, I remember in that moment going, "Oh." <laughs> right? And we're in the book of Judges, right? Like I just felt <laughs> like I felt like yes, people sin. People break your hearts. People fail. And yes, these leaders should be held to account, and yes, we should have a high standard for all of us of how we behave, but my faith is not in that individual. I fully trust that they are fully human. My faith is in the person of Jesus, and that is distinctly different, and God can work in the midst of all of this crazy. So those break—I recognize my story is a little bit odd, but when I read the book of Judges, or when I listen to my own narrative of my story, (laughs) I think— yeah, God's just bigger than all of this. God's bigger than this. And even for me, this last year has been a challenge, particularly because I think um, I've been wrestling with what I feel is like some deep hypocrisy in terms of like some, some of the face of some sections of Christianity in our nation versus how I would measure it according to the teachings of Jesus. And sometimes it's just unrecognizable for me, but it's the same thing. My faith is not in that structure. My faith is not in that presentation of of that person. My faith is in this story of how God is at work in this world and how God is faithful even when we just are terrible. And I love the book of Judges for that. this is bad. Some of it's really bad. I mean, the cutting up of the concubine and sending those pieces of this woman out, this is a really bad story. This is not the story you're going to tell in junior high, and nor, by the way, was it the one that they put in that really slick curriculum book, right? It's like, oh, by the way, we'll just skip over the part where they cut up a woman and send pieces of her body off to the tribes. This is deeply disturbing, and the Bible intends for you to be deeply disturbed when you read it. It's not saying, and this was fine. The Bible, actually, the fact that these stories are in here even give me more confidence in this overarching story of Israel and the people of God and God's mission for the world because if I were writing a story to convince all of you to put your faith into the God of Israel, I would not include any of the stories in the book of Judges except for the story of Deborah. That's the only one I would include. Of course. Of course. She's pretty awesome.
0: So we actually see some of that. Um, I put this slide in here because uh, this previous slide said the way in which their ancestors had walked. And I just wanted to remind us that this is actually very resonant of our key mission. Uh, We don't have a statement of faith here. We get criticized for that sometimes. Sometimes people wonder, what do you believe on this issue, this issue, this issue? And there's all sorts of different issues. And the key thing that I point back to is that verse in Judges was about how people forgot to walk in the way of their ancestors. This is what we're attempting to do, is to walk in the way of Jesus, our ancestor and the early disciples. That might look different in different places, in different times, with different issues and stuff, but that seems to be
1: central. And, and if you put central. that picture back up, you see all the little kiddos towards the bottom, super adorable. We were just sitting at the back of the church during worship and watching the kids just sort of run you know, crazy towards the back. And, and I turned to, um, to Jen and to Tina. was like, that's that scene of the kids greeting each other and running around and giving each other hugs and having that whole moment, that makes me feel like this is a church. And, um, and we were laughing about it, and, and Jen said, well, not like a church I grew up in. the kids weren't allowed to sort of run around and be crazy. Um, but for me, it, it feels like that ancient Israelite expression of community and of family and of telling the story, teach it to your children as you walk along the road when you get up and when you lay down, that when I see the young ones in our midst, it makes me feel like Spark has a future. And I'm still friends with the people that I went to church with when I was three and four and five years old, still today. I just saw one a few weeks ago and we snapped, snapped our SE again and pick up right where we leave off, even though she lives on the other side of the country now. Our parents still talk to each other even though they're far apart and all sorts of life has happened and none of them except for one like, still go to church. <laughs> My parents left the church after that event when I was in college and they haven't gone back. So the failures of leadership have real consequences which is why we fight against those failures and that sin all the time and why we work so hard to tell this story. But also this community continuing to love one another, continuing to forgive one another, continuing to wrestle, work it out, to doubt um, to doubt our certainty, to doubt, um, to doubt our doubts, all of those things in and of together. And then we see the littles grab one another's hand and run up to dance and lead worship even when it's not the official song yet, right? Beautiful. Because this is their home and this is their faith community where they can start to continue to tell this story in this way of Jesus.
0: One of the things, you know, they come up here on the stage, and in, in my previous iteration, children were never allowed on the stage because there's so much expensive equipment up here. Now, obviously, we want to be good stewards, but this phrase came to my mind. They may break something, but I would rather them break something than for us to break their hearts, right? And so the the priority, we still want to be good stewards, but the priority has to be inverted, and we have to protect the souls of all of the people that come into this place. And if they're up here playing and worshiping by bounding and making a joyful noise with whatever it is that they're doing, um, that's beautiful for us. So thank you for being that kind of a congregation. So some of the things that I'd like to point out just very quickly, based upon what uh, Daniel was saying, the book of Judges actually starts off decently well. Um, There's some rulers, so there's some judges that do things. And you can see that as a result of their uh, conquering, as a result of their military prowess, There's 40 years of rest, 80 years of rest. Shamgar also delivered Israel. They get these messages. And then, as Danielle alluded to, there's a story of Deborah and Barak, an amazing story of a powerful prophetess who has to come to the rescue of the judge, Barak, through another woman named Yael who goes into a tent and spears a guy in the head through the temple with a tent peg. Again, a really gruesome story, but one of those visceral moments where you realize that this struggle for what is right and this struggle for trying to stay true is not a simple and easy one. Now, I share that with you because the story of judges unfolds by talking about each one of these judges and how they uh, have succeeded in providing some rest. And then it gets to this person, Gideon. Did you want to say something in there? Um,
1: only that in between each one of those things, you have the, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Right,
0: right. So,
1: so just don't forget. Like they have these moments where there's some rule or some reign and some peace, but then they forget very quickly. And one of the reasons why we're doing this series in particular is because we've talked about if we were sitting down and writing down what do we want our congregation, our people, our kids to know is their story. This is actually part of what I want Phoebe to know, that sometimes there are people in this world that do evil, and you don't have to follow them, and God can still work through it, right? And so these stories of how they're told and how how if you forget who you are, if you forget the God that you worship, if you forget um, that you are loved, And cared for and that you are called to serve in this world called to be a light to the nations called to love your neighbor called to love your enemy um and and so much of this we've we've skipped over you have to go back and read your entire bible but like in leviticus 19 where it says don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind don't insult the deaf Um, don't do those things because don't hurt the elderly care for them in our community all of that that's part of our story of how we're to be as a people but when they do evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says that they forget the Lord their God and they serve the Baals and the Asherahs. They start serving the foreign gods in their midst. And ironically, the other evening I was having dinner with some wonderful friends who are members here at Eitz Chaim, and uh, we were talking long into the night, and we were talking about how um, there are so many um, young people who are having an exodus from the church, and um, and we, I was trying to explain to them, I said, well, you see, I understand Christianity is not an ethnicity, right? It's a belief system. So if you feel like you're not believing that anymore, you might not find yourself with a faith home where you're comfortable. So how do you wrestle with all that stuff? Because for them, in their community, they don't have to believe anything in order to be a Jew, right? You're Jewish, and then you may or may not believe it's sort of up to you. And as we're having this conversation, I said, yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty tough. And they lamented with me, and they said, but, but if all these kids don't go to church how will they learn how to be kind how will they learn how to be how the difference between right and wrong and this is two jewish friends telling me that i need to be really deeply worried about the number of people that aren't in church learning the christian story because they see from outside looking in a deep value for a people group who are being taught to love god that there is a higher authority in this world that they answer to to love one another to be kind even to people that are difficult yeah. and they were Um, exhorting me by the end of the evening to get back out there and make sure everybody was getting into Sunday school Um, because they don't want to live in this country, in this world without people who are taught some ethical morality that is set into a larger story, a larger narrative as to who we are, who we are created to be, who our creator is, and what we are called to do in this world.
0: And I would actually say that what you just said right there is a really nice summary of what I think is the answer to the question what is wrong with the world rather than pointing out um, to a variety of systems or people or people groups. It's forgetting. It's forgetting that way. It's forgetting our story and being separated from that community that gives down, uh, hands down through the generations kind of that moral compass, that, um, that identity in Yahweh um, and all of that, forgetting some of that which yeah, is yeah, yeah. what happens actually in right. the judges over and over and over again.
1: And and I think we've talked about this that God doesn't just call the Israelites and set them free because he wants them to be free. That's one that's a very good thing. We should want to be set free. But God sets them free for the purpose of blessing the world of living in such a way in the midst of this land between so that as all the nations of the world pass through and whenever you excavate anything in Israel, you're going to find sort of every layer of civilization. So as you start to excavate, you can find, you know, Calcolithic caveman remains, but then you can start to find Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, every group you can, Philistine, you know, Canaanite, um, every group you can imagine that sort of ever had the chance to pass through that world, ultimately, of course, Greeks and Rome, As well as the Israelite people, you can find all of that smashed into this tell layer cake throughout all of Israel because all the world is passing through. So, if all the world is passing through, God doesn't need to send out God's message anywhere. He just needs to set God's people in the midst of that land and say, Live this way, light the way for the nations. And if you live this way, as the nations pass through, And here's a phrase you'll find throughout the Bible quite a bit. The world will know that there is a God in Israel. And that's what happens. I mean, this is a very small people group in a very small place in the world that had been conquered and destroyed many times. And only recently, I mean, in recent modern history... Can the Jewish people even imagine having a homeland and a place to return to and a unified, you know, Jerusalem and all of those things? I mean, this is, this is very recent. For a thousand years, there I mean, it was still people who are trying to just figure out how do they live in this world when they don't have place and space. And it's, it's exactly this message going out. We will live and we will worship our God. We will love God, love her. We'll do the Shema. We'll hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with everything you've got. And if we do that in this place people will know the story. They'll know who they are, and they'll be able to tell that story to the next generation.
0: Any questions, comments, observations, thoughts so far? I mean, one thing that's always disturbed me about the, the story that you're mentioning with the sizing of the woman was, that I thought that was really odd. The beforehand part where the husband's like, oh, here, take your the father, I forget which one, but, you know, the male figure's like, no, no, take my, 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 my wife, and she's raped all night, and then dies on the, on the stairs. He comes out, he's like, okay, get up, we're going home. (laughs) Right. What? What kind of context is this? What cultural context
1: is this So this is chapter 19 that um, Kwame is referring to, and he's talking about how horrible chapter 19 of Judges is, and it is. Um, and it, it starts bad and gets worse, right? And I think this is exactly the problem because it's a Levite and his concubine. So what is the Levite's role? The, to be the priest in God's house. So it's like, do you want to know how bad it was? Let me tell you how bad it was the priest is doing this, right? So it starts bad and gets worse. And that's, it's to convince you that it's horrible. It's to convince you that it's a mess.
0: You start to see the beginning of this actually with Gideon. It's, and again, as Judges gets progressively worse, culminating in that story, you have to take the full narrative. In chapter 8, The people, after Gideon makes this kind of victorious military uh, victory over over the Canaanites, the people come to Gideon and say, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us out of the hand of many. The the author is telling you that even though they're supposed to be following God, they're supposed to be following Yahweh, they're supposed to be submitting ultimately to him, and that they, as a, a people, are supposed to be identified as people under that covenant, they don't want that. They want power. They want rule, and they get seduced into that. And then Gideon is the last vestige of any sense of hope because he tells them, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm not supposed to be your ruler. The Lord is supposed to rule over you. And then we get to the Samson story, and we talk about the eyes. Um, and then the next section of Judges talks about the ultimate beginning of the end of the decline And there is that phrase that shows up over and over and over again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. That's how the book ends. And so the swirly of doom down to worse and worse and worse begins with the Israelites being distracted by, there's somebody I want to follow, rather than recognizing that they're ultimately supposed to follow God. (laughs) Chazak, chazak, venit chazak. And then ultimately culminates in, okay, so I'll follow this person, this person. Oh, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, whatever I see is right. And that's where judges ultimately is supposed to leave. It is supposed to disturb you. It serves as a warning as to what happens when that slow decline from being really, really clear as to who you are and what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to live, the way of your ancestors to following after power, following after military might, following after your own lusts, your own desires.
1: Or the other gods.
0: Or the other gods. Very quickly, um, I put this together. I hope it's somewhat sensical. Throughout the biblical narrative, there are all sorts of different types of government that happen. Um, There's self-rule when the Israelites are just free and they don't have any government. Then the priests come in and set up a religious government. Um, There's prophets that set up a... Uh, kind of a social government. There's kings, of course, that set up the political, and then there's the judges that set up the military. Every single one of these types of government is displayed in the scriptures, but there are are problems with every single one of them. Self-rule leads to worshiping the golden calf. Um, The priests lead to blind religious obedience, just do whatever the priests say. Uh, The judges, opposite, eyes wide open to seeing things the way they want, and the kings are subjected to power And the lust of that power. And ultimately the prophets are subjected to, la, 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 we're not going to listen to you. Um, These are the types of governments that show up. Judges comes into play with one of those. Trying to establish, remember that you're supposed to follow in the way of the Lord, even though, even though you are going to want to follow in the ways of your own eyes. But every single one of these pieces, every single way, one of these governmental structures has ultimately that weakness. Um, and what I'm going to suggest that how Judges fits into the grand story is that all of these governments, including judge, judges and kings and prophets and priests, are ultimately supposed to be reminded that it's, your government comes from God, not from these systems and not, not these, these people and these powers, your lust for conquest, all that stuff. If you are lusting after power control, to be in charge, to see it your way, you have lost your way. And so the answer to the question, at least for me, what is wrong with the world, the way Judges addresses it is that as soon as you begin to take your eyes off of that story that God has been writing, as soon as you do that, you've lost your way and you end up being like the judges, you end up being like the concubine. De- you, just right you just do what's right in your own eyes. just uh, do what's right in your own eyes. This reminds me of uh, G.K. Chesterton's beautiful quote. Uh, in answering a question, what is wrong with the world? He writes in, regarding your article, what is wrong with the world? I am. Yours sincerely, truly, G.K. Chesterton. And so my, um, my thought, and then da- I'll let Daniel have the last word, um, my thought is part of what Judges reminds us uh, in the story is that it's so easy to see systems, governments, kings, prophets, priests, those people, the others, the Canaanites, as the problem with the world.
1: Or the answer.
0: Or the answer. Right. And this goes back to your wonderful illustration through all of the dysfunctional, chaotic, uh, moral failings of a lot of church leaders. But you... You follow the Lord, that you follow God, you follow Yahweh, you, f- you follow that. Um, and you ensure that you keep your heart, your mind, your way straight. And it is through that, that hopefully the world can be transformed um, over once again.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would just say all of this is not to suggest that um, people of faith always have the corner on truth. Or righteousness, right? So it's, it's not to say, hey, let's not take our eyes off of the way. God is the way, the truth, and the life. And anybody who doesn't take, you know, obviously we don't, we can look at the world we're in today and know that that's not true to say that anyone who follows Jesus, then they've got it together and everything else is right. I mean, this is not what we're suggesting. It's more complicated than that. And it, this book should be greatly disturbing and should also comfort you <laughs> that it's in your story because if today looks a little complicated, well, at least we're not, you know, at least nobody's brought in a concubine and chopped her up and sent her off to people. <laughs> I mean, there's, there are degrees of complication and there are, are degrees of difficulty in the midst of all that story. Ultimately, I think... What Judges is doing in our narrative is to set us up for the expectation that we need that Israel needs a king, but that too will also not be super functional. There will be a lot of dysfunction in that because humans are involved. So ultimately God tells Samuel, don't worry, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm supposed to be their king. And our, our exhortation today would be to say, um, See how you can find yourself continually grounded in the relationship that you have with the resurrected person of Jesus. See if you can get your feet there, if you can start to listen. And, and maybe the prayer today is only, God, I don't think you exist. Would you like to convince me otherwise? Or simply, um, Jesus, can you just let me know that you're present? Can you just let me know that you're here? And then I'm going to do the next right thing, and the next right thing can be to find a way to love your neighbor next door, or to love your neighbor within your household, um, or to open up the story one more time and try to ask 45 more questions and try to find and seek the way of of God's love in this world.
0: Yeah. Any questions?
1: I was just thinking, uh, about- Own sight that's right right that's right so ezekiel is pointing out that in the samson story he the whole time is distracted and led astray by his own eyesight once his eyesight's taken away he can truly see right and that's when he crawls out to god again and i think that's an exact excellent way that it's our own eyes that we shouldn't trust, but instead continue to seek out towards God. So, amen. You can come and close the benediction next time, Ezekiel. God bless you. <laughs> well done. Uh, Thank well you. Well
0: Ezekiel. All right, friends. Thanks so much for uh, joining us for a little bit of a banter back and forth. Uh, Book of on Judges. That, the Book of Judges. And we hope that you are both disturbed and inspired <laughs> um, and encouraged as well. This Typical is, spark. This, my friends, is part <laughs> of our story. Typical
1: spark? That's how we roll? Yeah. Okay, disturbing that's we... and inspiring.